Today's episode is brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer, manufacture, and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality, and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show, guys, girls. Today is episode number 85. It is the second week of November. Uh, we are headed into the last full week of racing here uh, as we release this episode, um, thank you for allowing me a little bit of time off last week. Uh, we had Halloween, which hopefully you guys enjoyed. I took uh, a little time to do a vacation, which I haven't done in a long time. I've gotten out of town, but uh, not really just to uh, relax a little bit. So that was good stuff. Went to sunny San Diego, and uh, those of you that have been listening to the show for a long time know that I am a huge Top Gun fan, and we'll get into that a little bit further in the show about why it's so important to be a Top Gun fan, especially if you're a drag racer. Uh, but I did that, uh, went and checked out some sites uh, in San Diego where they filmed some of those scenes. That was a really fun thing, and... Uh, and uh, got to spend a little time in the sunny weather um, of Southern California. So really good stuff uh, for me. But I, we're back at it and we've got great, not good, we have great info for you this week. And uh, good stuff to discuss. I can't wait to get to it. But uh, there were a few other things uh, larger um, in the world in play this last week. And we've got a We've got to address that before we get into the show too deep. Uh, the World Environmental Summit was held last week. Um, and this really, we need to touch on this because this impacts us. Um, it impacts the racing community because from time to time, we will get corporate sponsors that don't want to get involved because uh, they feel like we potentially you know, are are going over and beyond polluting the air. And so that gives us a little bit of a bad rap when we unload our cars at the drag strip. So, you know, just to put this thing in perspective, um, the World Environmental Summer Summit is where the world's leaders 
all get on their G6 planes. Uh, they get about 200 gallons to the mile. And they discuss how us commoners are polluting the world. Uh, never mind that they want us to do all of our meetings by Zoom. They all had to fly in planes themselves, get together and talk about what we can do or how we can do a better job of saving the planet. Um, but I'm not a person who wants to see the world burn. I want to do my part. I want to make sure that this world is sustainable and that uh, you know the ones that come after us um, have a world to participate in, have a world to race in. So I did a little research and I grabbed this article from the UN uh, meeting this week, which I thought was very important. Um, and the article's title is, uh, man, dire. The UN predicts disaster if global warming not checked. And I thought, oh, disaster. That is not good. I better pay attention to this. So I did. Um kept right reading on. It says a senior UN environmental official says the entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels if global warming trend is not reversed by the year 2000. What? Oh, hold on a second. I just realized that this article was printed on June 29th, 1989. Uh, so that didn't set with well with me uh, because I am a man of action uh, and I wanted to do my part. Um, this article clearly says that, I mean, I'm going to read this again to you. It says uh, entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels. Uh, so that that is, uh, man, that is not good. But here we are um, in the year 2021. Um, that I know of, none of us have been wiped off the face of the earth. So that settles it for me. I think one of two things has to have happened. Either we have solved uh, this problem completely. We have solved this global warming uh, issue, which is good. Um, or that was complete nonsense. I can't remember. I don't know which is which. We, I, I'm going to go with we've solved it. And uh, global warming is solved. It's been solved completely. And we can just rev them up and uh, go have a good time. Um, or it was complete nonsense. And that whole thing is designed to just pilfer our wallets uh, in the name of, you know, I, I don't know, uh, some morality clause. But uh, I think what that article means that was dated June 29th, 1989, is that we can calm down a little bit from all the electric vehicles that were being shoved down our throats at SEMA last week. And, um, you know, we can continue on going on. So if anybody gives you a little bit of uh, that way, um, do not let them at all. Um, we'll just pull up the article from 1989, I guess, and move forward. But unlike the UN, um, I try to make things better around here. So I floated out a what I would call a, even a semi-survey on Facebook last week uh, to try to make things better. Um, certainly the response was overwhelming. Uh, the hot topic of the week and the in the beam segments, man, uh, they got a lot of love, which was good. Um, and so what we'll try to do probably moving forward is focus a little bit more on those, a little bit less on some of the other segments. Uh, but that said, 
because I want this to be the best show ever, I will be doing a little more surveying, um, out, especially on the Facebook side. And please go do that. I truly want your feedback. Um, I I do not want this to be completely just me dictating. Um, I, I want I want your feedback. So please do that um, whenever you see that on Facebook. Um, but guys, the get to it today. Um, I have a great guest on and I am excited to have him with us. Uh, Pete Maduri is with us. He is the 2021 PDRA elite top dragster champion. I cannot wait to have him on. So get to doing whatever it is you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute, clean the shop, work on that old heap. But metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on Get strapped in because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. Guys, girls, we've got to do a follow-up on Hunter Patton and what the NHRA leveled against him. And um, I know this is a little bit delayed. That said... Uh, the conversation is still out there, and I believe it warrants a follow-up. So um, I'm going to go back to something we already quickly talked about in the intro, which is the need for all of us to understand the value of Top Gun and how important it is to the sport of drag racing, specifically bracket racing. I mean, sometimes you have to hit the brakes and let them fly right by. Um, but, uh, you know, Hunter Patton's, uh, younger dude, 26, uh, that movie is 35 years old. So maybe he hasn't seen it. If he hasn't, he needs to, um, actually everyone should. Um, it's a movie that holds up for sure. I just forced someone, uh, I care about to watch it here recently and it absolutely holds up. Um, so I'm not worried about that, but had Hunter followed advice um, he would have known that as a snot-nosed jockey, you cannot do circus stunt flybys um, just because you're upset, happy, etc. That is not going to work, and we're not going to get to you know run into each other at the shutdown just because you're upset by um, a win or a loss. Um, my goodness, I think uh, you know he certainly has learned his lesson and put me. On the side that says NHRA got this one right, they handed down a essentially a year suspension. They suspend him um, immediately, but it goes until the uh, January first, twenty twenty three. So that's a full year of NHRA activity next year, and then whatever's left of this season. And I think they got this right. And what I mean by that is. Hunter is 26 years old. My goodness, we've all done dumb stuff in our life, wished we had one back. I know that I, in retrospective, said, man, I wish I had that one back. I would not have acted that way. I think we all have had at least one of those times in our life where we said, man, wish I had that one to do over again. I didn't wish the death sentence or at least the racing death sentence on him at all. I think the NHRA got this right. They said, you're done for a year. You need to step back. You need to reevaluate if this is a sport for you. And I think they got it right. He, of course, there are always loopholes. 
Maybe he will be able to race next year. Um, but, uh, you know, via one of those loopholes, what I would say is that if he doesn't, I think that's okay. He's a talented kid. He will be back. At least I hope he's back. I hope that one-year suspension wouldn't um, make him shut down uh, the whole operation forever. But I, I do think the NHRA got this right. They gave him something that was valuable and yet didn't take his whole uh, livelihood away for the rest of his life. I think that would have been way overstepping it. And I think they got this right. And so credit goes to where credit is due. And I think the NHRA stepped in. Um, that said, I think the promoter previously probably wish he had that one back as well. Um, maybe not. But... Uh, you know, Randy Folk is a very well-respected guy. He made the decision in the heat of the moment. I think in retrospect, a lot of us think that uh, that wasn't the right call. That said, heat of the moment, it is tough uh, to make those perfect decisions all the time in the heat of the moment. So, you know, with the with the opportunity and the ability to step, step back, have a few days to ponder over what is the right decision. NHRA, I think, made the right decision. Um, you know, and hopefully he will come back and be better than ever. Uh, but, you know, um, maybe for a year he needs to uh, look into uh, driving a truck. Maybe Truckmaster, I think it is. Um, I think that's the company they're hiring. I mean, you just never know. Um, because uh, when the heavy comes down, then that's what we have to do. We have to take our lumps like a man and that's what hunter's doing right now and it seems like from all uh, purposes he will be back and he's just um you know taking all this the exact way you have to which is be in perspective make yourself get better and uh you know he'll be back at that time um after the suspension is over and i'm guessing he will be just as tough out as he ever has been <laughs> All right, let's put this thing in the beams presented by AFCO Racing. On with us now, he is your 2021 PDRA Elite Top Dragster Champion. He has won a total of 12 series championships all the way from no box to box to index racing and now the Elite Top Dragster World. Um, he is from North Tonawanda, New York. Please welcome to the show, Pete Maduri. Pete, how are you today, my man? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate you coming on. You are wrapping up what was a fantastic year for you this year, um, winning the PDRA Elite Top Dragster Champion. I mean, I think arguably uh, the toughest class of all of uh, bracket racing. Um, but let's before we get to this series and this year, uh, why don't you take us way, way back? Uh, talk about your earliest memories of drag racing. Yeah, uh, I was uh, going to the track when I was about three years old, uh, watching my father compete. He was on and off over the years, uh, driving a variety of different super gas cars. Uh, we would always go to the World Nationals in Norwalk, Ohio. I can remember just every year going there and watching. And um, whenever they would call top dragster to the staging lanes, you know, I was only six or seven years old at the time, but I had to get in the stands. I had to watch, um, and I can, I can vividly remember saying to my dad, "That's that's my dream one day is to run, run in this class, just to be able to compete in it." That, so, so you knew 
from way back that this was the class that you wanted to get involved with and you really wanted to put your efforts into? Absolutely. And um, it just seems like as time progressed, you know, as I got going with my racing career and, um, you know, I enjoyed some success, but I watched the class kind of get quicker and faster and faster and realized it probably, you know, I'm 34, married. Uh, we just had a baby. She just turned 18 months old. So kind of realized it's not something I can do on my own. I needed uh, some support and to team up with another family, which is what we did this year um, at Bauer Racing. Uh, we've been friends for many, many years and um, have indirectly teamed up over the years. But uh, this year, um, with their car and um, the tuning ability of their son, Robert Bauer III, uh, we pursued this world championship. Well, that's pretty impressive then, because you're saying you had uh, you had not raced this car previous to this year? First time sitting in it. We did, we did get me all sized up uh, during the offseason when we made the deal that I was going to drive it, and uh, the son, Robert Bauer III, was going to tune it. Um, so we got me all fitted up, but the first time actually moving the car was race number one in Galat um, in April. Oh, that's that's very impressive. Then, I mean, and, and I guess maybe we should back up a little bit and uh, let our listeners know. I mean, suiting up is not um, something you you know done for the first time. Obviously, you've won several, uh, about a dozen different series championships. Um, what was the what was the last um, kind of thing running up to this? I mean, you've done some quick sixteen stuff. Is that kind of what you thought prepared you for going to the elite top dragster world? Yeah, I would say. I mean, I've been um, I've been 440s in the eighth mile in a dragster, 690s in the quarter, so you know, pretty quick. But um, this was certainly a whole new learning curve with this procharged engine and um, just a whole lot more horsepower than I'm used to the nitrous setups. Uh, so this was quite a learning curve and just a whole different feel for sure. Yeah, so maybe now's a good time to uh, walk us through uh, that car um, in general. I know you said you teamed up with the the Bauer family. Um, walk, walk us through that car and tell us exactly what you were driving. Yeah, that car is quite a special car. Um, that was built by American Race Cars. It went to Chrome Works. Um, John Parks customized it. Um, it was originally built as a super comp car. Um, Robert ran it for... Uh, several seasons with a 565, just a naturally aspirated engine going five O's. Um, he got some big wins in that car. I think two $10,000 race wins with that. Um, two years ago, they upgraded to a, uh, 12 degree 632 in it and just concentrated on super comp. So he was, he was going 890 to about 187 miles per hour. So one yeah. of the faster super comp cars. Sure. Um, and then, uh, this year we decided, you know, we talked with, uh, Travis at American and, um, we set it up to go 370s, and that's exactly what it did. Um, the power plant's a Mike Janus 540, uh, really the first pro-charged engine they've done, and um, they are just, it's unbelievable. The amount of versatility in that company, I've seen them put together world champion bracket motors all the way to pro-mod engines. It seems like they can do it all. So, th- so this is an American car. Um, what is that? I'm guessing it's um, what the 243 version. Is that right? In terms of uh, yes, uh, 242 inch. Yep, yep. Mono shock. Oh, okay. Swing arm uh, then, and you know, there for a long time, people said you can't run top dragster with that swing arm, uh, you know, chassis because you needed two shocks back there, and obviously, people proven them wrong. But uh, uh, so in. So that's the swing arm, and then the um, then the pro charge version. You said, and that's the first time you've been in a pro charge car. I think that's the first, yeah, pro charge. That's the first time I've been in a pro charge car, yeah, yeah. 
And so walk walk us through the difference between running, uh, you know, a nitrous and the procharge car, like from just from a feel or driver standpoint. Um, I would say the thing that always opened my eyes in a fast racer the most was the initial hit. Um, and then it felt like, you know, with the nitrous coming in, you were just kind of along for the ride at like 300 feet. It just kind of all the acceleration was early in the run. This was completely the opposite. It actually felt conservative on that initial hit as it was just playing the tire down, and then basically the next thing you know, you're at the mile-per-hour cone. And it's just its amazing. When it hits high gear, that was the first time that I've ever really, I mean, that was probably the most exciting part of the run, is when it hits high gear, it's just pulling. I mean, that's when all the power's in, and it's just a raw 2,500 horsepower pulling you to the other end. Right, and and you're doing that, uh, what, what were you, an average dial-in for you? I mean, obviously, throughout the summer, it kind of moves around a little bit, but. Yeah, in the, in the better weather, um, you know, when it was 65 to 75 degrees out, we were uh, low to mid-370 player. Um, in the heat of summer when we were, you know, battling the 140-degree track temps, we were uh, mid to low 380s. I love it. I mean, I, I love just the fact that, I mean, think it wasn't too long ago when if you just said you were going to bracket race a 370 dragster, people to laughed right at you, right? And you're like, no, 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 I've, I've got this thing down. I can dial it. To the to the hundredth, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's, it really is unbelievable. Yeah, I never never would have thought it's even possible, but um, I, there's a lot of guys doing it, and um, I mean the bumps were just crazy fast. You know, coming right out of the gate, the first bump in Galat in April was 392, and that was the fastest bump in the history of PDRA for elite top dragster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very next race, it was reset to uh, three, I believe it was 390 flat. And the very next race in Norwalk, it was 385 with a nine. So those are the three fastest fields ever. It, yeah, for for a bracket race, right? It's just uh, it's it's kind of mind blowing yeah. a little bit. Um, and and you mentioned um, you know you mentioned uh, the car and is there did you have any other help that uh, you need to talk about uh, while you're here? I know I know you had uh, plenty of sponsors and plenty of people helping you along. Who else was involved with uh, putting this car together? Yeah, so first, and this team would, together. Yeah, first of all, just Bauer Racing in general. I mean, uh, Bob Bauer and Shelly Bauer, uh, they're the parents, the owners. Uh, they gave me an opportunity this year that um, I'll forever be grateful for. Uh, my main sponsor is Dynabrate Industrial Power Tools. Uh, that's the company that I work for. Um, so it's just uh, an honor to, to be able to travel the country and represent such a phenomenal company. Um, a lot of people don't know, but we do make the best industrial power tool out there. Um, so it just it fits real well in the racing industry. Not um, I want to thank. Yep, sorry. I want to thank uh, Justin Cooper at FTI um, Performance. Built the best uh, training converter out there, and uh, the support he provided this year was was just huge. Now that's that's great. You you just have to have those people in your corner, right? To to say, hey, I'm going to go and and uh, pursue a championship. I mean, that's you, you have to have good people in your corner. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, I really uh, attribute that a lot to uh, Robert Bauer III uh, just for over time developing these relationships. And, um, you know, he's just like a sponge. He absorbs all the information, and um, it's it really was key, I think, in this championship. Um, having people like Mike Janis, Justin Cooper um, in our corner was huge. Yeah, because uh, he was doing a lot of the tuning, right? I mean, you you were focused on the driver uh, side of that, That's correct, right? Yeah. And but, but he was doing the tuning, correct? And he was, yeah. And I mean, that was, uh, to me, I think I had the easier job. Um, you know, he had to learn everything in a hurry. And I think one thing we found right off the bat was 
you know, in any bracket racing I've ever done, for the most part, you're leaving the setup the same. You're just adjusting the dial in through the day. We found out in a hurry that's not the case here. you got to keep the car happy. So there were very few, probably zero races where we left the setup the same from round to round. We were just, con- I mean, he was constantly changing the timing curve. And, you know, it was not necessarily major changes, but just, just enough to keep the car happy and the tire happy. And, and, and that, I think that was key to the success. Yeah, no, that makes makes a lot of sense actually. Um, so so talk us through the series just a little bit in terms of the beginning of the year. You're you make this new deal um, with you know the Bowers and they they're on board. You're on board. Um, did you have this goal at the beginning of the year to say um, you know I'm, I want to win the championship or what point during the year did you realize hey I have a shot at this thing? Yeah, funny enough, um, I, you know, it did run through my mind. I figured I, I figured if we were able to lead all the races and the amount of devotion I was going to put into it, I definitely saw us finish in top five, you know, maybe even top three. But I would say um, the event or the round even that I knew that there was a good chance we were going to do damage was actually the second race of the year and it was a first-round exit. Um, but it just seemed like at that point – that's when I had a hundred percent confidence that the car was going to be the whole year. I knew the car was going to be deadly and I knew I had the support behind me. So it was really a matter of, uh, you know, how much I'm, how much I'm going to devote to this. And I felt like the destiny kind of was in my own hands in a way, because I knew the crew chief was knew what he was doing already. And I knew the car was going to be the best that it could be. So oddly enough, it was a first round exit where I think the confidence built. And then that led into our first win, the next race at Norwalk and then uh, runner up the race after that. That's that's really interesting and, and kind of a fascinating perspective. Uh, I love that. I love the fact that you said, hey, we lost and it was a first-round exit, but the process that we had in place was uh, enough to give us some confidence to move forward, and you did. You won the next race at uh, Norwalk. That's correct. Yeah, qualified number two. That was our career best, still is, uh, 372 with a three. And uh, that qualified as number two at that event, and um, and we were able to get the win over uh, Michael White, who ended up finishing second this year. Right. So that that round in itself proved um, instrumental in in the you know ultimate victory of the championship. Uh, but I, I think that's that's such great stuff that you go, man. We, you know, wasn't the week that we wanted, but we made progress and we learned and we we knew. Uh, had the confidence to go into the next round. That's really impressive stuff. And and I remember watching that race at Norwalk, and I remember you had such a great weekend. But I would have never guessed that uh, the confidence you got that weekend came from you know the last time out in a first round loss. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of ironic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, talk to us a little bit about um, what what next year looks like for you. So now that you've climbed that uh, championship, you've got uh, you know you you've climb that ladder, you've won that championship. What does next year look like? I mean, is it the same goal or how, anything changing? Yeah, we had actually, we had a little team meeting uh, last week just kind of to discuss everything. And um, there's still some um, some talks uh, ongoing, but uh, right now it looks like um, I'm going to be behind the wheel again. We're going to be defending the championship. So, you know, always kind of been my dream to be able to run number one on a car. So this is, you know, it's just, in itself is quite a humbling experience. Um, Bob Bauer Jr., the father, will be competing full-time in Elite Top Sportsman, which he did um, about 
three quarters of the races races this year, made some upgrades. Um, that car is going to be qualified at the top of the field this year. So I, I really think there's, I guess, the main goal is possibly to see if we can put ourselves in a position to win both championships. Wow, that would be that'd be quite a feat because the both those classes are incredibly tough. But uh, yeah, you're you'd be competing Absolutely, on the yeah. that team would be on the top sportsman and top dragster side. Then is what you're saying, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. That's that. That's cool stuff. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, th- I mean, that's an incredible challenge. That whole series is incredibly tough. Um, talk a little bit about uh, the people at home. You mentioned that uh, you have a little one. Yeah, uh, my wife, uh, Jennifer, we got married um, actually in the middle of this race season, uh, second week of July. We had to pick a non-racing weekend. (laughs) um, (laughs) Our little daughter, Addison Rose, she just turned, um, she actually just turned 19 months. Um, She was at every single event this year and seems to love the whole racing thing. Um, So I just, yeah, can't uh, say enough about the support I get at home for my wife. Um, She's actually going to start driving this year. Took her to the Frank Hawley School. middle of this year in maple grove and uh we got a drag nobody for her so she's just going to be running some local bracket racing and super comp uh, racing very cool yep yeah. and then uh, my parents uh, my father pete and my mother nancy who was my two biggest supporters and uh my sister gina who um almost caused a little bit of an issue this year because she had her wedding scheduled on the Maple Grove event. What? So I actually, yeah, Robert and I, and we knew this going into the season, um, they actually canceled the wedding due to COVID. They were going to wait until the following year. And then it was the week before Galat in April, they decided they were going to put it on. And it was August 14th. And obviously I'm the only brother. I have to be there. So Robert and I loaded up the dragster for the Maple Grove event, drove all the way down there, uh, unloaded the car, made one qualifying session just to get on the ladder and get the points, and then loaded it up and drove straight back home. Sis, so it was quite sis, a, uh, yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? We're trying to win a championship, sis. What are we doing getting in the way? Yeah, there was a lot of people scratching their heads as we pulled out. I mean, we were literally, I mean, we drove probably, that's about an eight-hour drive each way, so 16 hours of driving, and we were at the racetrack for an hour and a half. Uh, well, it worked out for you for sure. And I think that's uh, quite a, quite a season you've had, uh, winning, uh, you know, the world championship there in the PDRA, getting married, um, having, you know, the, the little one, uh, come along with you. I mean, that just at that age, they take a lot of energy and then having your sister, um, you know, play defense on you. My goodness, Pete. I know, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, dude, that's uh, that's fantastic. You had a heck of a season, and uh, congrats! I, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, that was that was yeah, great, great stuff. Um, a heck of a season. I mean, that whole series is is incredibly tough, but to win um, on the elite top dragster side, uh, just unbelievable. And, and congratulations again. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Looking forward to next year. Guys, girls, that was your 2021 PDRA Elite Top Dragster Champion, Pete Maduri, if you need him. Today's half-track report is brought to you by Drag Race Lawyer. Like it always is. Guys, girls, remember, for all your high horsepower legal needs, 
go to dragracelawyer.com. All right, we are going to finalize this year's series countdown. Um, going to the NHRA event in Vegas this past weekend, the final divisional out there, and they put on a show. In Top Dragster, there were 46 cars that pulled up. Your number one qualifier was Anita Strasberg. She goes 6-10 with a zero, with a zero at 241 miles per hour. Amazing accomplishment uh, by Anita Strasberg. Um, Blake Peevler goes number two. He goes 6-10 with a six at 205 miles an hour. I mean, he usually is going through the traps at 228 plus miles an hour. So he definitely had a different strategy to get to 610 there. And we will talk more about him here in a minute. But your winner was Taylor Vetter over Mark Yeager. And what a final this was. Taylor is 28 up front, dead three on her 633 dial-in. Yeager, uh, 16 and on the tree, one above five to be an identical 31 thou package for both Taylor Vetter and Mark Yeager. They had to go to the fourth decimal place to decide this one. Um, and it's Taylor Vetter by five ten thousandths of a second, getting the win uh, less than two inches at the stripe. Um, Taylor Vetter gets the win light and the Wally for top dragster out in Vegas. But the story really was the national championship. And all of that was great stuff. Uh, but it also determined the NHRA top dragster national champion. Uh, as Blake Peevler gets just enough done in Vegas to claim the championship. Bradley Johnson had a mathematical shot at winning the NC, but needed to win big. And when Bradley didn't move on, Blake Peevler claimed that national championship in top dragster. And give credit to Blake's dad, Al Peevler. I spoke about it earlier in the show earlier in the show this year when we had Blake on. But when I talked with Al at the beginning of the year, he was not cocky. He wasn't pulling a Babe Ruth and calling any shots. He just simply said, you may want to keep an eye out on Blake. He seems to be putting things together to make a run. No truer words have ever been said. I am not much into Nostradamus, but Al Peevler called it, and I couldn't be happier for that entire Peevler family. Um, So if you want to get a good look at what the big Wally Parks trophy looks like and see some albino squirrels at the same time, you will have to go to Olney, Illinois, and check them both out because that's where they'll be. Congrats again to Blake Peevler on winning the NHRA Top Dragster World Championship. Nicely done, my man. On to the top sportsman side, there were 43 cars that showed up in Vegas for that. Your number one qualifier, Jeff Conley, 624-3 at 231 miles an hour, absolutely flying. But your winner was Chris Newman um, over Jimmy Lewis. Chris has got a beautiful new car um, and gets it done, wins over Jimmy Lewis. Lewis with the reaction time advantage, trying to finish off what would be an amazing weekend all in all but gets a little bit loose in the final and wisely clicks it off, giving Chris Newman the win light and the Wally, his seventh overall. Uh, But the national championship was the story. And congrats to Chris Newman. 
but the real story going on was Paul Mitos. You heard him here a couple weeks ago. He was the leader going in and was trying to hold off a charging Jimmy Lewis. Lewis, the former Super Super Gas champion and this year's top sportsman U.S. Nationals champ, was not going to allow Mitos to sleep easy. Lewis needing a couple more rounds and Mitos to take the lead um, of the national championship and did exactly that. Now, Paul uh, had some mechanical issues. Man, they worked their butts off um, to get uh, just make it tough and try to finalize that championship. Uh, but ultimately, Paul Mitos ball, bows out in round three, uh, meaning that Jimmy Lewis needed to go to the final to win the national championship. Imagine being in that position, having the opportunity and knowing that you held your own destiny in your hands. You just simply had to get past some extremely tough competition to claim your prize. And that's what Jimmy Lewis does. He goes out and gets it done. He gets past Jeff Conley um, in the quarters. He goes past Ed Olpen in the semis, both high, high level competitors. But once he saw the wind light come on in the semis versus the Undertaker at Open, he knew he had earned himself the NHRA Top Sportsman World Championship. Congrats to Jimmy Lewis for climbing that mountain and making it as entertaining as it possibly could be. Uh, There were no nail clippers needed after this one for anyone paying attention to this championship. Uh, So congrats again um, to both uh, Blake Peebler and Jimmy Lewis for winning national championships and Chris Newman and Taylor Vetter for winning those divisional trophies as well. Um, We mentioned that this is ultimately the last real race weekend of the year. We have an NHRA national event final coming up. All the pro categories will be decided there this week. The no top sportsman, top dragster events being there. There is a million-dollar bracket race this weekend as well uh, for the bracket racers. And then the World Streetcar Shootout is going on for uh, most of the heads-up classes. So uh, this weekend is really kind of the final week of the year, even though uh, not much going on with top dragster and top sportsman. Uh, But next week, I think in this segment, we will really uh, dig into the NHRA divisional winners. uh, So well-deserved, and we will talk about all of those winners on the top sportsman and top dragster side next week at the Half Track Report. Let's get out of the groove for just one second and talk a little NHRA racing. NHRA makes what I think is a major announcement. Actually, they didn't announce it at all, and that's one of the things I don't at all get from uh, the association, but they um, added to the rule book NHRA factory experimental class, ultimately what could become or what potentially and what some I think lobby for as the next pro stock class, meaning it has to be a Mustang, um, Charger, Camaro in factory trim, so not not the pro stock molds that we think of today. Nothing um, that has been through the aero field and by five star, etc. And smoothed out. These are what look like 
real cars rolling off the parking lot. And then they are limited them to a 10 and a half, uh, 33 inch tire in the back, which I think uh, I, I actually have a pretty good affinity for. I think that uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, but then they are going to let them do some chassis work to lighten it up on the inside and then put the LS based or the, you know, the uh, Ford Coyote based um, plants Hemi, Hemi with the superchargers on top, which I think is kind of cool. So I think they're rating them at 630 horses right now. Of course, they will be much more when they hit the track. Uh, but that said, I think that's a pretty cool class. Is it cheap? Absolutely not. It is going to be very expensive, much like every heads-up racing class there is. Uh, but these are going to look like Camaros. They're going to look like Mustangs. They're going to look like Chargers, Challengers. Um, and from that standpoint, I think that's pretty cool. Plus, they will have stock based motors with superchargers so in general terms these are the closest things that you could get to outside of the copos i guess um you know on the naturally aspirated side but the issue that they're having on that side and this has been pretty well documented is that on the you know the factory uh showdown classes they're running up on that seven and a half uh dial in and that is what those cars are chassis certified for. So, you know, in an effort to go any faster than that, you have to have an updated chassis. And that doesn't work for those classes. So they're going to have an issue with it, which is pretty impressive given the amount of horsepower they're getting out of those cars. Uh, but this was the next evolution of this, right? And it, it reverts back to what Pro Stock looked like and acted and felt like early on which is what the public cries for um i i personally love it i 10 years ago uh wrote a pretty passionate letter to uh someone at nhra who for whatever reason refuses to come on the show um saying hey let's let's look at those 10 and a half inch tires it makes some sense it it makes the tuners work even a little bit more and we could easily curtail these cars to go back to what they look like in the factory trim and so that's what this class has done so i'm really excited about it um what i don't understand is why nhra thinks it needs to be kept a secret ultimately what they do is the they just release the rule book and there's no press release for it so it is just hey here's the, it's in the rule book now and in case you didn't go to the rule book on that day, you would not know that that was a new new class. So they've essentially let the Drag Illustrated, Drag Zines, Competition Pluses of the world say, here's, here's what happened. I don't know how you get away with not having a media group um, that pushes that stuff out, um, you know, at least does press releases. That, to me, is very bizarre. Uh, but um, that said, I really like this class. Now, it's going to get out of control quickly. Um, I don't know that Pro Stock is going away anytime soon, nor would I want that. That said, this to me looks pretty cool. It looks like a Camaro that I drive. I happen to drive a 2019 Camaro as a daily driver. And so that's kind of cool that these cars will look exactly like the car that I'm driving. That's pretty cool. 
um, it'll be very similar. So in general terms, I can go, um, I don't have the supercharged version of it, but I could put that supercharged version in my car um, and then it would be just a matter of uh, up, upgrading the chassis and uh, putting the 10 and a half inch slick on there and letting it rip. So to me, that is very cool. It's going to look like a lot of the cars that we drive um, could add some real excitement to the class. So we'll see who shakes it out. Let's see who gets in there and says, all right, um, I really want to go after that. Uh, but it is an experimental class for 2022. I think it's a step in the right direction. I like it. I wish the NHRA would puff out their chest a little bit and say, hey, this is what's going on. Here's the direction we want it to go. Here's what we're thinking in the future. Um, because um, I think that's you know part of what happened with the pro stock truck issue back in the day is that um, because they didn't set a direction and a path and at least market that a little bit then when they did cut the pro stock trucks off um, you know then there were a lot of upset people so i hope that's not the same path we go down with this class because it looks super cool and you're going to have people get involved with these platforms you know the ls uh, coyote platforms etc and they're going to really work on those superchargers and i think that's good for all of us um and you know, in general terms, could be a very, very cool class to keep an eye on in 2022. As we hit the mile per hour cone, we got to keep uh, on keeping on with the NHRA and their releases to the rule book for next next year, which. Um, good for them. They're getting it out early and giving people time. But uh, that said, we move on to Pro Mod. The NHRA adds screw superchargers to Pro Mod in 2022, um, which uh, the you know that should add to the parity of the class. It should add drivers to the class. They struggled a little bit down the stretch with getting full fields, and um, I think. The thought is that adding these superchargers will help that and make get us full fields again, which I think is good for everybody. Pro Mod, uh, arguably the most popular class in all of drag racing, and I think they wanted to add a few, a few more, um, few more faces to the mix. Now, I have no idea how you keep that um, parity um, going, and I mean that's always always a struggle from the association standpoint and they've added another variable to that incredibly difficult i would think and um, man kudos to them for thinking they can keep everybody happy that's part of the problem is um you know there's too many different ways to go about it and trying to keep everybody happy um, and monitor correctly incredibly tough um, they also um they added a weight break for 49 to 51 uh, Mercuries, which as you know, um, there's really only one out there active right now. That is Craig Sullivan. We've had him on the show. Uh, Craig, uh, you know, busted out El Mero. Mero to huge fanfare and um, had immediate success. He's at this point undefeated in the NMCA. And, uh, you know, with that combination. So um, I thought that was, I mean, pretty pointed 
that uh, you know they gave not only that they pointed out the 49 Merc, but that they gave it a weight break to try to come over. Uh, my understanding is that still quite isn't enough um, to get Craig Sullivan in the mix for next year. That said, has there ever been a more direct request uh, for someone to come play in the sandbox than this specific rule? Um, and I have no idea if they reached out to Craig personally, but uh, man, writing that right in the rule book is is pretty incredible. Now, maybe there have been, and somebody can say, uh, as you guys know, I am not the the best historian. Um, but uh, man, this that seems like a very direct request. Please come play in our sandbox. Here's a rule specifically for you. Um, and I know I'm probably going to get some verbiage uh, talking about pro stock motorcycle but uh that said uh, man very direct so calling craig sullivan and calling larry jeffers who has the mold for those 40, 49 mercs um nhra breaking it out saying hey we want new players in pro mod for 2022 and maybe they are getting back to the roots where we've got some wild cars and different cars than just Camaros out there. Big fan of Camaros myself, but uh, it, it would be cool to have uh, a lot different versions and uh, more uh, versions of the cars in Pro Mod for 2022. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane and let's take the stripe. Let's do it. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 85. And there it is. There's the wind light and the sweet, sweet sound of Gloria. Yeah, guys, girls, we had a great week this week. We got it caught up on some racing action. Um, you know, we got we had a lot of NHRA talk this week, actually. We talked about NHRA and them hand, handing down a suspension, which I think they got right. I think they got it right with the factory experimental class that's coming out. I'm kind of excited about that. And then I think they got it right with encouraging different body styles in pro mod. So we talked a lot of NHRA actually this week. Um, and then we got to talk a little bit of PDRA as Pete Maduri, your 2021 elite top dragster champion came on. He was great. Um, but uh, before we get out of here, I do need to do this. I need to wish my dad, Roy Simmermaker, a happy birthday today. Uh, today he is the ripe middle age of 73 today. And, uh, you know, I would not be here. You would not be listening to me today without him encouraging uh, his addiction, I think, of drag racing onto me. So I've got that uh, in me as well. Uh, but he's doing great. He's uh, He's got plenty of projects that he's working on this winter. And, um, man, I, I would not be here. So um, so happy that uh, he was able to um, give me, you know, bring me along in this drag racing journey. Uh, so congrats to him. And uh, help me, if you would, celebrate uh, Roy Simmermaker um, and give him a happy birthday today if you know him or if you see him. Um, Guys, girls, uh, we have, uh, of course, the comments, questions, or curse words. If you have it for the show, I've asked you for 
a little bit of feedback because we're trying to tweak it. Uh, you know, there are three ways to get at me. You can find me on the Facebook page using Messenger. Um, you could probably see me at the UN Summit, trying to help their, them out a little bit. Or you can use the email fastbrackets at outlook.com. Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. from vacation uh all the top gun memorabilia and conversation was uh uh very cool oh brother i mean first of all yeah it was super cool um i think listeners of the show know uh, my affinity for top gun i think you fall into that category as well is that true i've got the need the need, the need for speed. speed absolutely like it is it is really um, yeah, if you're a bracket racer, you have to understand all of the things that go into Top Gun. It teaches us, man. It teaches us how to live. Yeah, it's so good. It was so good. So it was looking a lot forward to when's that next movie coming out? Yeah, that's a great question. It's been a big source of angst for me personally, as you know, Chris. Uh, it was supposed to come out last summer. It got pushed. Um, what was I thought was going to be here later this month? And now I'm hearing that it's not going to be out until next summer. I I don't I don't know what's going on with this. I, I clearly uh, blame it on uh, you know. There's lots of people to blame actually. I don't even start that list. Let's go, Brandon. Right, exactly. Today's episode was brought to you by Afco Racing Products. For over three decades, Afco Racing Products has focused on one goal: deliver high quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer, manufacture, and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks, complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today, and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality, and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products.